0: Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Chase Will. Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Today I'm joined by writer-director Mick Garris, who will be receiving the Icon Achievement Award at the Horror Hound Weekend September 9th. Congratulations, Mick.
1: Thank you. It's a pretty exciting honor.
0: I'm just excited you're going to be in my neck of the woods and actually get to see you in person. Oh, you're going to be
1: there. Awesome. Oh, hell
0: yeah. It's one of like the best conventions out there, I think.
1: Yeah, it's a great one. I've been once before, and uh, and it's it's always nice when people enjoy the work that you put out, as you know, as an author.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, it's probably the best part about it. Honestly, I mean, the sitting alone part—it's really rewarding on its own to <laughs> just to tell the story. But knowing that people are enjoying it, I think that is everything I could hope for.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, this genre—we're the only ones who really have conventions and festivals where like-minded souls get to be to, together. I mean, I say this often, but there are no Western conventions, there are no <laughs> moder- uh, r- romantic comedy conventions, uh, no cop movie conventions, but there are lots and lots of horror <laughs> conventions and festivals.
0: I've always wondered what that would be like if there was like a comedy movie convention. Like, how would they even go about that? Would there be people like LARPing as their favorite comedic characters?
1: (laughs) I guess. I guess. Either that or there'd be a lot of stand-up shows.
0: Now, you've done a lot in your career. You are a writer, director. You've had books out. Um, Do you have a certain process you follow? Or do you kind of, is it changing every time? Or how does your writing work?
1: Uh, I have, I'm. I'm fairly facile as a writer. I was lucky enough to be born with a facility to do it, to just sit down and write. Now I'm going to curse myself for the rest of my life by saying I've never had writer's block. Um, (laughs) So from now on, I'll never be able to complete a scene again, but, but um, I just, uh, the process is very similar, but the approach is different in that uh, books are internal and film is external. So, when you're writing a screenplay, you're writing a blueprint. When you're writing a book, you're writing the final project. You know, you're writing for the audience to read on the page or on the screen. Whereas there are a lot of different creative people to go through before a movie or television show gets to the screen. So, it's a much more collaborative and yet much more creatively intensive medium to do it for visual media because you're combining all of the arts together, whether it's writing and performance and music and editing and, and um, photography uh, all of those elements, you need really good people in every department to fulfill a really creative vision.
0: Oh yeah. That's be like, that would be intimidating for me knowing that there are so many people working with you on that one thing. Like I, I, I like the writing part of it because it is, you know, almost megalomania where you are in control completely.
1: <laughs> You've <laughs> got know, a God complex, I see. Okay.
0: <laughs> you know, got on my own little fictional world.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it can be intimidating, but naivete will get you a long way when you're starting out.
0: I ask every guest too, starting out. Um, what is your favorite horror movie of all time? Because I think you can learn a lot about a person.
1: You know, it changes all the time. I don't think in terms of favorites or uh, my top 10 or anything like that. But, you know, if you ask me one day, it'll be David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. If you ask me another day, it'll be an American Werewolf in London. If you ask me another day, it'll be Psycho or uh, or it'll be The Thing or, you know, it, it just changes. I, I like anything that delivers something I didn't expect.
0: It's probably that's probably what makes a great horror movie, isn't it? Something where you go in and you kind of think you know what you're getting, but it delivers something different. Would yeah, you agree and if that?
1: it can, yeah, I would agree. And horror is universal. Maybe the specifics of what you're afraid of are not exactly the same as mine, as mine, but I'll bet they're close enough that what scares me scares you, and you can, as as you know, as a writer. You can only write from the inside out. You can write from the outside in, but it's not nearly as fulfilling and not nearly as as propulsive a read if you're an outsider trying to write a character rather than do it from within.
0: Mm-hmm. That's why I like uh, first person present tense is because it kind of gets you inside the character's mind where it's a lot more internal monologue and also probably therefore way harder to adapt if it ever came to that.
1: Yeah, well that's the thing. They are different um disciplines and and that is the challenge, but it's also what's fun about it, you know. Um I I made a movie called Riding the Bullet based on a Stephen King short story. Probably the thing I've done that the least people have seen. I um, loved it. Oh, thank you. It's something very close to me and personal to me. It's a very low budget film made very quickly and inexpensively, but but um the book, the short story it's based on was very internal and it's in the first person. And uh, trying to make the internal external for a film was the challenge I set for myself. And rather than just the easy way out, like all the old film noirs where it's a narrator, uh, to me, that's kind of cheating in a movie to have a narrator, but to have someone's. Uh, alter ego sitting next to him in the back of a car talking to him and have a conversation that was an experiment in how to make those internal musings externalized for the screen audience
0: now you've adapted a lot of works um some big books like desperation and the stand that is the one that i didn't know people could adapt because
1: <laughs> that's I, a I, big book
0: <laughs> oh yeah was it was like 1300 pages that, that's a huge yeah, one
1: yeah the on un- the the unexpurgated version is thirteen hundred pages. The original published version, which is what King adapted for the miniseries, was only nine hundred pages. So yeah. but he wrote the script himself, and it was like four hundred and sixty pages of screenplay
0: Now, when you're adapting someone's work, like Stephen King's, like what goes through your mind? like how do you start that process out? Do they have parameters? Do you get to decide like what exactly the movie's going to be compared to the book, or how does that work for you?
1: Well, it depends. Sometimes I'm the writer and director. Sometimes I'm the director and not the writer, as in the case with some of the King projects like The the Stand and The Shining. But after having done Sleepwalkers together, which was the first collaboration I made with King, it was not based on a book. So we didn't have anything to pay fealty to. Um, it was just an original screenplay. And he loved it. He was really happy with how it came out. The critics hated it, but he was happy. <laughs> and I'd rather I'd rather make Stephen King happy than uh, the critic for the, uh, uh, the West Falchahunk, uh, New Jersey newspaper. Um, but uh, it depends. With King, we started with the script on the stand. King was an executive producer who was on the set about half of the days that we were shooting. But he acted as a cheerleader. He'd learned to trust me from sleepwalkers. We became friends on the stand. We worked very closely together. And yet there was never a moment where he said, you know, I think you should do it this way. You know, he was in on casting sessions, but he never said, oh, you should do this guy, even though you want somebody else. Um, He was a cheerleader. He was there for the actors and and the key crew personnel to have access to. But mainly, he was just playing with a set of toy trains and and watching it go around him, and he's the greatest collaborator in the world. I've never had a better time with a with a writer or producer than I have with Stephen King.
0: That's my love about him. It's like he is just a fan. Like he loves movies. He loves horror. He is somebody who just seems like he's in it for the pure joy of it.
1: Completely, he's a total fan. He's. He loves rock and roll. He loves books. He loves movies. He loves television. And some of his tastes are highbrow and other of his tastes are lowbrow and everything in between.
0: Now, in a previous episode of um, Ask Mick Anything, I love that, by the way, your podcast. Awesome. Amazing. Chef's Kiss. Thank you. <laughs> um, somebody somebody asked if you listen to music while you're right. And you can't listen to anything with lyrics, correct?
1: Right. You know, King blasts rock and roll all the time. He, he plays ACDC. He does all of that. But I find it very distracting, uh, especially if there's lyrics. But even if there's a melodic pattern or a rhythm or something, it it really distracts me. I, I usually write in silence or something ambient. But more often than not, I choose silence.
0: That's how I am, too. Because if it has lyrics that I recognize, it's like it pulls you away almost. Yeah, like it's mentally. words.
1: Yeah. Yeah, You're it's, trying to create your own. It's
0: like somebody shouting into your office when you're trying to focus on something. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, I care about you. I want to listen to you, but I I can't.
1: (laughs) They are separate things. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, What would we say is the last movie that really pulled you in where you couldn't stop thinking about it for days?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. Probably Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, my
0: God, that movie.
1: I love that film. I'm very passionate. Easily my favorite movie of the year.
0: That is like the first movie where I watched it streaming and immediately after the movie stopped, went to the store, bought a copy. I was like, I need Uh, to have this. I need the commentaries. I need everything.
1: (laughs) I I got to go to a screening of it and and it was filled up. So I was like three rows from the front and it was a giant screen and it was overwhelming. But I loved it so much that it came out a few days later and i took my wife to see it uh, because i knew she would love it and i wanted to see it a second time and now of course i've got the 4k and uh uh, you know it's just i'm not a repeat viewer generally but in the case of that movie there's so much to it it's so rich in detail and and it's just so enjoyable and fresh and original that uh, it just blew me away and getting the filmmakers on the podcast was really fun. We had a good conversation.
0: Oh yeah. Like that was one movie. My friend told me, he's like, this is a movie that shouldn't have worked as well as it did, but everything about it worked. Like if you, yeah, it's like the per, I want to say perfect because that sounds so, but like it is the perfect movie. I, everything about it worked.
1: Everything it tries to be, it fulfills. And, and I just love it. And it tries to be something different. You know, they did the same filmmakers, the Daniels did uh, Swiss army man, which whatever you think of it is what they set out to do. And they came out of doing music videos and, uh, and that sort of thing. And so you would not expect it to be so tender and so human in addition to being mind blowing.
0: Now this movie, this podcast, is a lot about kind of nerding out with people. I gotta ask: as a child growing up, you were like already starting to become a writer. I think it was like age eight or ten or something.
1: 12. 12. twelve. We'll say twelve. Yeah.
0: Like, what was the book or movie that really pulled you in and made you say, "This is what I want to do"? Like, this is my calling.
1: Well, the, the author, the author I read was Ray Bradbury. Uh, he was my entry drug into wanting to write. Learning that a writer had a personality. I read Ray Bradbury everything he'd written that I could get my hands on by the time I was 12 years old I read it that year maybe when I was 13 and everything that was to follow so I watched all the universal horror movies when I was a kid from you know the first movie I ever saw on TV at the age of probably 5 was son of kong so uh, it was in my veins from a very early time. You know, it was a safer injection than than what other people might have grown up on.
0: <laughs> like all those old movies too, like the Universal horror movies, especially like Frankenstein. You know, I think Kong was one of them, wasn't it? Universal
1: Kong was RKO.
0: RKO. I got that co- totally wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, but easy to do because it's part of the canon. Yeah,
0: yeah, but like those movies are so heavy and beautiful still like all the universal movies like dracula bride of frankenstein especially still hook me
1: well they created an entirely new genre not just by subject matter but by approach they were heavily influenced by the expressionistic german cinema of the time the cabinet of dr caligari and and the golem and things like that but they happened in a very american way they were set in eastern european locales but they still had an american sensibility to them and but the look of them they were able to use shadows and visuals and sets because they were rarely on location creating something stylistically new and unique that kind of changed the the course of how film stories were told
0: now, a lot of people who listen to this are filmmakers as well. Um, how do you, for them, how do you start out making a film? Like, what is the most important thing to nail?
1: Well, getting the script right is the most important thing. Um, then once you can trust your script, whether you write it or whether you rewrite it or someone else has written it, um, working, collaborating with a writer, once you have a really good script, then it's up to you to fuck it up. <laughs> um so, but casting, a lot of people say, you know, 100 percent of a movie's success is how it's cast. I wouldn't give the percentage that high a rating. but it's incredibly important. You want people that the audience can identify with, who can share your emotions. Um, and music is incredibly important. But one thing that you can't really learn from a textbook is pacing. That's something that is uh, that is very visceral and something that you can feel more than explain. So shooting, you can make pacing better through the editorial process, but you can't, if it's badly paced when you shoot it, you can't fix it. You can make it better, but you can't fix it. So it's it's knowing what scene is coming before what you're shooting, what scene is coming after what you're shooting, what the context is. Uh, and and how everything crashes up against each other and you know the the great movies of the 40s that were that were so dialogue oriented where it was howard hawks uh, machine gun style one line over another over another over another that kept you going because the the writing was so brilliant and the actors were so unique and charismatic and had personalities that were not anonymous like so much of what television has fed us over the years series television you've got uh interchangeable blandness in place of people with genuine quirks that that, obviously that's changed in recent years and hasn't always been that way but you know you, you don't just have pretty boys and pretty girls you have people who stand apart from everyone around them and and that's a big challenge you know with something like the stand where we had 126 speaking parts, each of those parts had to be somebody you'd identify on their own, that you you didn't go, wait, was this guy, was he there or was that him or was that her or was she somebody else? Everybody had, they were written distinctly and we tried to cast them as uniquely and as distinctly with as unique a personality as each of them deserved.
0: I think it's one thing I loved about your um, adaptation of The Stand is the characters. I can think back and remember exactly who made me feel what. Like there was the kind of uh, Bruce Springsteen character. I forget his name. Um,
1: Larry Underwood.
0: Larry, yeah. Like when I think of him, I think of Bruce Springsteen because of his personality in the book. And then when I think of Randall Flagg, like I can always think back like this is how that character in that movie made me feel. And I can't say that about a lot of movies. I can't remember the exact feeling I got the first time I watched it. But that movie, the characters were so specific; it, it was brilliant. I loved it.
1: it well, thank him. you. I, I I'm so lucky to have been able to cast the way we did, and Ruby D and Aussie Davis and Matt Frewer and and uh, it, you know just everybody in it was was so good.
0: Now, on the writing side of things, do you do any kind of writing exercises? And if so, do you have a favorite?
1: I don't really. Um, uh, as I said, I, I have. I'm lucky enough to have a facility for writing. So if I'm writing, whether it's fiction or a screenplay, I start on page one. And I usually don't have an outline unless I'm writing uh, something uh, for pay. If If I've pitched a project to a studio or a network, then I need to outline it before I write the screenplay. So there are steps on the way that that they have to approve beforehand but mostly i write on spec and i start on page one i don't just write a scene at a time i go from one to a hundred or wherever it's going to go and i often don't know where it's going to end up but i trust my instincts who so far have not failed me often um but uh, yeah exactly again i'm cursing myself but uh, I'm a very instinctual writer. Uh, I'll do research if it's required. I'll do a lot of that. But, um, you know, as far as the characters, the personalities, the storyline, the twists and turns and the like, I often don't know where it's going to go. But I let the characters guide me because, as as you know, you don't put yourself into the characters. The characters steal you and borrow your fingertips.
0: I love that. Like, that's why I know something is working well is when I feel like I'm not doing it, you know? Yeah.
1: Now. Yeah. If I'm taking a long time writing, people would say, you know, oh, it takes me six months to write a script or or a year. And it's like, God, if I take three months, it's shitty because it's being labored. You know, it, if it takes hard work to do it, then I know it's not working.
0: And you also get through about 10 pages a day, don't you?
1: I try to. Yeah sometimes it takes me a little while to ramp up to it when i'm starting a new project because i'm not doing it as often as i did in my younger years um but uh yeah i try to i try to make 10 pages every day my target
0: that's a really ambitious goal like if i could do that i'd be really really happy with myself <laughs> like i am one of those slow writers like i can actually really feel that <laughs>
1: But the process itself is so enjoyable, whether yeah. it's it a long time or not, right? not. Not for everybody. I know other screenwriters and other fiction writers who, who do labor over it and don't enjoy the process. But for me, I'm gleeful. I, I make myself laugh when I'm writing. You know?
0: Would you say uh, picking something apart too much is maybe what makes it hard for some people? Like if you're obsessing over minor details and trying to perfect it versus letting it happen, is that something that solves?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, you know, uh, you can get in your way um, by trying too hard or or paying too much attention. Go back and fill it in after you've done a draft. Don't belabor it and spend two hours on something that's only going to frustrate you and create a roadblock. Just let the story and the people push you forward.
0: Um, Do you have a favorite book? I like to ask this of people who are big readers, and you mentioned Bradbury. I'm wondering which yeah. one of his really grabbed you. Uh,
1: well, um, oh, what's the one that was made into a movie? Um, uh, I'm spacing right now. Uh, was it know, a something the, wicked? The, the, something wicked? This way comes. That's my favorite Bradbury. But I love the noir writers. I love Raymond Chandler's The High Window. I love um, uh, James Ellroy. Uh, There are so many writers, you know, Richard Matheson, Stephen King, obviously, I've read every single thing he's done, um, and Clive Barker, there, there are just so many really great people. And I, I don't just read in the horror genre, um, I, or watch movies just in the horror genre, although I love them, um, and it's usually my first choice, uh, I don't want to just be 13 years old, you know? (laughs)
0: Now, as someone who is so big in the horror genre as you are, where do you see horror going in the next ten years? Because it's changed a lot, I think, in the past five years, hasn't it?
1: Oh, it has, and that's because of the platforms that are available now, and because it's always been that you don't need stars, you don't need a lot of money to make horror movies. um, If you have a good concept or a commercial concept, Um, unknowns are fine. You don't need to spend a million dollars on your lead. You know, you don't have to to cast brad pitt or anna Diarmas or whomever uh but um because the platforms are so varied now there's so many streaming platforms as well as pay channels like hbo and showtime but you've got shutter you've got uh prime video you've got netflix you've got paramount plus you've got disney plus in addition to theatrical although theatrical is becoming more and more specialized for superhero movies or or big theme park rides rather than movies. Um, so the diversity of voices is greater than it's been in a long time. And I predict even more of it over the next 10 years. It's such a great thing to have different ethnicities, different genders represented in ways that they were not allowed to be represented before. In fact, in in movies and television these days, it's advantageous to be black or female or Latino or all of those things, which I think is a really, really healthy and exciting thing. Because I get to go to film festivals around the world and I get to see movies that are made all around the world and see the diversity of of creativity that's out there, particularly within the genre. And in a genre that in the United States is mostly treated as something for adolescents around the world, it's an adult format. It's a genre that that there are very artistic and intelligent films made. There are in the states too, but they're not as plentiful. You know, people like A24 certainly have a reputation for putting out really good genre films. I won't use the word elevated because I hate it. I think it's elitist. it's elitist and <laughs> snobbish and insulting to the entire genre. Yeah.
0: I had the same point. <laughs> Like someone used elevated, I was like, elevated for what? What are you saying about everyone else?
1: Yeah, everything else is in the gutter. We've been living in this uh, horror gutter for our entire lives. And yet here we are loving what we what we do and what we see and what we read.
0: Mick, um, where can people find you on social media and what do you have coming up next?
1: Well, I'm working on uh, something with Clive Barker right now that I'm not supposed to talk about. So oh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram at Mick Garris PM, and you'll find me under Mick Garris or Mick Garris and the Postmortem Podcast on Facebook. And the podcast Postmortem, you can get anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, Every other week we do interviews, and on the alternating weeks we do the Ask Mick Anything podcast episodes where people from the audience send in their, they submit their questions and producer Joe asks them of me and I do my best to answer them.
0: I actually had one fan question that I told them they should send. Can
1: I ask it here? Absolutely.
0: Somebody said, ask Mick, what is his hair care style? Because his hair (laughs) is fantastic. (laughs) They said, please ask him.
1: That question has been asked more often than you might imagine. I don't know. I just get my uh, shampoo and conditioner at the drugstore and uh, every morning wash my hair and that's it. You and Del Howison. I'm like, how do you guys <laughs> do it? <laughs> yeah, dell has got it on his face too. So.
0: Oh yeah, double duty.
1: Double duty indeed, yeah.
0: Well, Mick, it's been a joy. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks.
0: All right. Have a great night, everybody.
1: Take care.